Let's open our Bibles tonight to Ruth. We're going to hopefully finish the chapter tonight, or finish the book, I should say. Uh, we'll look at chapters 3 and 4 this evening. And uh, as you know, Ruth, this Moabitess, this woman who came from a country that was pagan in its origin, and she comes with her, she comes back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And remember, Naomi, they left, she and her husband left Bethlehem, went to, down to Moab, and their sons, Malon and Chilion, they went with them. There was a drought in the land. They left Bethlehem. They go down there to Moab, and Naomi loses her wife, or loses her husband, excuse me, and uh, he dies. Her, their two sons get married. The two sons pass away. Two women are left. Now you've got three widows. Naomi wants to head back to Bethlehem after she finds out that the, the drought in the land is over. Her daughters want to go back with her. She discourages one from going. I don't know why, because it would have been the best thing for her. But Ruth was one of those people. She held on. She clung to Naomi in love and vowed that she would go where she goes, that she would die where she dies, that her people would be her people. Totally change of heart for this woman who was in a pagan idolatrous background. Now she's going to assimilate herself into the Jewish culture, into the Jewish religion, into the, uh, everything. And so um, Ruth does come. And, and remember in chapter 2, she, in order to make a living, she goes out into a field to glean, which uh, to go out and to glean is to go after the reapers have come into a field in the barley harvest. They would go out and they would gather the grain and whatever's left, she would go behind and pick up those things. That's why they call it gleaning. And she provided for herself and her mother in law, and she found out that she was actually gleaning in a field unbeknownst to her originally in the field of one of Naomi's husband's near relatives, which was God's providence. God's providence. And, and, and as we go through, and as we have gone through so far, we see the budding relationship between Ruth and, and Boaz is, is his name. And he is very kind to her, is very loving toward her. He's always appropriate to her. We'll see some things tonight that uh, may look a little questionable, but uh, there's, uh, there's every reason to believe he was a very upright man, and so was she. She was a very upright woman, and they both were a very wonderful match for one another. And you see in it, we're going to see tonight this wonderful plan of redemption, and also uh, we're going to see love just blossoming. We're going to see um, loyalty. Loyalty and love, those kind of things are important for us today, aren't they? Loyalty and love. And certainly the plan of redemption is why we're all here tonight, right? Because we've been saved. So let's look at chapter 3 tonight. Let's get right into it. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? Because now they're back in Bethlehem and they don't have anything. And so Naomi's heart is to... 
work something out, to be a matchmaker so that her daughter-in-law will have not only a husband but a home and maybe even raise a family. Naomi was older. She was beyond her childbearing years, but now she sees her daughter-in-law, Ruth, coming up, and she is younger, and she has many more years in the tank, so to speak, and Naomi's heart is to see her marry and to marry one of her own homeland. And what a wonderful story it is. It's not even a story. It's reality, right? But it's a wonderful love story. I mean, this woman coming from a, a land that nobody really wanted to intermarry with anybody, or at least the, the Jews shouldn't have, actually. And yet you see all these boundaries and all this stuff just breaking apart and God intervening and doing this wonderful thing of bringing two people together, a very unlikely couple. Boaz, very much a Jew, an older man, older, many years older than Ruth was. And Ruth coming from a pagan background, a Gentile woman, a widow, and poor to boot. And so they, it's a wonderful, wonderful plan that God has. And isn't, aren't all of his plans wonderful? The plan of your life, the plan of your salvation, it's, it's tailor-made to each one of us, very very unique to each one of us. Every one of you are, is like a diamond, and there's no two diamonds alike, and, and that's the way God works. He does, he's not a cookie-cutter God. He'll take the mess that you have, and he'll make something beautiful of it. You think that your life's all together, he'll prove to you that your life really is a mess, and then he'll build you back up again. But I love the way the Lord does these things. So Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? And again, you know, Naomi here is, is going to be playing the role of a matchmaker. And arranged marriages, as you know, were very common in that culture. We saw it in the lives of uh, certainly uh, Abraham and, and Isaac. We remember uh, Abraham had one of his servants go fetch a bride for Isaac. He didn't even have a choice. Abraham said to a servant, go find her, but don't go to the Canaanites. Go to the, my own people, right? Go to my own people. And he finds a bride for Isaac and brings her back. And of course, she's beautiful because when Isaac sees her, his eyes fall out of his head. His heart starts to beat a little bit. He starts to get a, uh, what's that word? Um, it's more than agita. It's, uh, that's good enough. Yeah, palpitations, palpitations. Yeah, he starts to get a little lightheaded, needs oxygen. He sees her. He's totally amazed, right? We also seen it with Mary and Joseph. Their marriage was arranged. But she sought security for her. She wanted her to have a place. In fact, that word literally means this idea of security. It, it literally means a settled spot, a home, a place of rest. Not only in a relationship, but also in provision. And we see this very same word in the very first chapter of Ruth when Naomi, in verse, eight, in verse 8 of chapter 1, Naomi said to her two daughters, this is before they left Moab, she said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest. There it is again. That you may find a place to settle down. That you may find a husband. That you may find a home, provision, and that was Naomi's heart, to help her daughter to find a new husband, a new home. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And in finding a home for Ruth and a husband, Naomi would also potentially, she would secure security for herself as well, because Ruth would certainly not allow her 
her mother-in-law to go without. Because Ruth, remember, was the one who, who clung to her leg. I am not going to leave you, even though Naomi said, go back to your gods, go back to you know, your homeland. And she says, I will not. I will not. In fact, that's one of my favorite verses, and, and it's, a, it's a, one of the hallmarks of this, one of the most important verses in all of this book of Ruth is chapter 1, 16 and 17. You can read that, but that's basically her declaration of loyalty and love to her mother-in-law. So she says to her, it says, well, I'm sorry, verse 2, it says, Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, because she was gleaning in the field with his servants, is he not our relative? And so all of a sudden, the, 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 the ball starts to, or the, the, the wheels start to spin in Naomi's mind and certainly in Ruth. And she said, in fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And, um, and so we know that he was a relative. In the very first verse of chapter 2, it says, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. His name means in his strength. That's literally what his name means, in his strength. And so now Naomi is going to be playing matchmaker. So notice verse 3, what she does. Therefore, wash yourself, Ruth, and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, notice what Ruth's response, all that you say to me, I will do. What a rarity. (laughs) Have you ever had your child come up and say to you, all that you say to me, I will do? Well, start with the trash, start with cleaning up the room, start with uh, getting the books off the couch, right? And notice her heart. It's always been the tenure of her heart was to be a servant. So unusual. You know what? Be a servant. Be a servant of God. Don't be so, you know, in our culture, especially in America, we are so self-focused. We are so into ourselves. And boy, what a wonderful thing it is to get outside of yourself. Do you know that's where the secret is? If you find yourself very depressed and kind of, you know, feeling a little odd, go out and serve somebody else. You'll find that It'll change your life, and it'll get your eyes off of yourself, and you'll receive a blessing from God. It's a secret that very few people know, or if they do know, they know, but if they don't know, they'll never find it. You're not going to find your peace at the, in, in a pill. You're not going to find your peace at the bottom of a bottle. You're not going to find your peace and joy in a relationship. You're going to find your peace in serving Jesus Christ, and sometimes that means serving people. You serve God by serving others as well because you're denying yourselves and putting yourself last. That is the secret to it all. Put yourself last. Isn't that what John the Baptist says? He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. <laughs> that verse alone could be put on all of our windows or on our, all of our mirrors in our bathroom. It'd be a good thing to live by. So she said, all that you say I will do. And real obedience is doing what you're told, and to do it quickly, without a debate. You know, that's one of the things that they like in the army. When, when you first go into the army, I was never in the service. Um, I just never was drafted, but um, my brother was in the service. One of the things they do in basic training is they break you down. They don't care about who you are, where you came from. They don't care about your history. They want to make you a machine that when they say, 
this is what you do. You, without question, you go and you do that task because you trust that there are others behind the scenes that have already planned and figured out these things. And when they say, I want you four guys to go up in that front hill and stabilize that area, you do it without question. You don't raise your hand and go, you know, I got a really, I got a better idea. Much better than yours, Captain. I know you've been in the war for a long time, but I think if we do something a little, you know, we can just send over like a, send over a, a you know, an Instagram kind of, you know, thing and just say, we love you guys and we want peace, you know. And he's going, no. <laughs> I got a plan, execute the command. But I really got to execute the command. You know, next thing you know, you're, you're court-martialed, right? Because you're, you're, you're disobedient. But see, this is one thing that is, is another thing. You know, when God tells you to do something, do it and stop arguing with him. Pray about it. But once you know it's him, don't wait. Go do it. And you've got all of heaven behind you. And it, will it be easy? Probably not. The fruit is up to God. The fruit is up to him. So, after Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, and she uncovered his feet, and she lay down. And he would lay down at this heap of grain just to protect it, because, you know, these things are valuable, this, 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 uh, this crop that he has. So he would be there protecting it and sleeping there. And now she comes and uncovers his feet and lays at his feet. And it happened at midnight that the man was startled. He turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. Can you imagine that? Is this a dream? And he looks down, and, and I am sure Ruth was a very beautiful woman. Because we'll see what Boaz does later, but she was a very beautiful young lady, I believe. And here he is. He's like, have I fallen into a wonderful dream? Who is this beautiful girl at my feet, <laughs> right? And so, but there was nothing inappropriate here. By, by Ruth doing this, she was submitting to Boaz's authority as a, a kinsman redeemer, a gael is what they call it in the Hebrew. And he, she was going to submit herself to the one who had the right to redeem her, to, uh, to, um, to take care of her. And Boaz knew everything about her by this time. And he said, who are you? And so she answered. She says, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing. Underline that word wing, for you are a close relative. <laughs> Take me under your wing. Go back just uh, to chapter 2, if you would. Just flip over the page if you have to and look at verse 12. 11 and 12, actually. You remember when... Um, when Boaz speaks to Ruth, notice what he says there in verse 11 of chapter 2. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord, notice this is his prophecy. The Lord repay you your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings... You have come for refuge. So he said that to her a chapter ago, and now she's laying at his feet, and she's saying, I am your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. He knew very well what this was about. The custom dictated it. He knew exactly who Ruth was. He knew what she was doing. And it's a wonderful prophecy, and I don't think that Boaz knew at that time 
that he would be the one that would actually be part of fulfilling that prophecy that he spoke to her of. Because he did, he prophesied over her when he said, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by Jehovah, God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You've come out of a strange land, you've come here and you've left everything, not knowing where you're going, by faith, and here you are submitting yourself. May the Lord repay you your work. And I'll say that the Lord did repay her, her work in, in such a wonderful way. And we'll see that as we go. And Boaz and Ruth's destiny, they would collide and would become one of the most famous couples in all of the Bible. And he said to her, verse 9, he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Notice, for you are a close relative and this is the second time this word relative. In the, in the Hebrew, that word relative is gael. And that may not mean like a lot, mean anything to you, but gael is the Hebrew word that is translated relative here. And the first time we see that is in Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, when um, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed is he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. There it is again. It's a gael. It's a, some people call it, pronounce it goel or gael. And basically it is a, a male in the family who is next of kin to the deceased. The, the male who has the ability to buy back not only a relative's property, but he also has the right of a Leverite marriage, which we'll talk about a little bit, but to marry uh, a widow that has a, 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 a relative's widow that has not had any children, he is to take that place and to go in unto her, to marry her, to take her in, and to raise up children under in the, in the, in the place of her deceased husband. And so that was what a Gael or a Goel or a kinsman redeemer was to do. We also know from the book of Joshua that we were just in not too long ago that a, a, a kinsman redeemer would also be an avenger of blood. Someone who would come after if somebody killed somebody uh, out of cold blood, they could, uh, they could go after him. And unless the uh, person who did this thing went into one of the cities of refuge. But so here she stands. She, she's, uh, she, she looks at him and he is uh, the, the, the Gael, the kinsman redeemer. And we'll look at this concept more when we get to chapter 4, but let's go on to verse 10 now. So he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether rich or poor. And you know, whether she liked it or not, all the time that she was working and gleaning in the fields with uh, Boaz's servants, Ruth's character was under scrutiny, and she passed the test. She didn't know she was being watched, but her character was being examined. And how about you? Do you know your character is being examined? That's why Paul says to walk circumspect, not as fools, but discerning the time, for we, you know, the days are evil, right? Walking circumspectly, knowing that other people are looking in all the time. They're looking in at this life who says, I'm a Christian. How do we respond? What kind of things do we say? People are watching. And Boaz was looking at her. Ruth could have married any one of those young men in the fields, and I'm sure unless he commanded them, he did command them to leave her alone, because he's probably thinking, she's mine. <laughs> 
He told the other, his servants, the young men, to stay away from her. And you know what? She didn't chase after them. Her heart was such, she was single in her heart. She wasn't flirty. She wasn't loose in that regard. She was very an upright lady. And Ruth was following through on her promise to her mother-in-law that she made to Naomi before they left Moab. Remember in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and this is her words. Ruth said to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death departs you and me. That's, that's loyalty, wouldn't you say? That's a heart that loves Have you had anybody like that who loves you that much? Even in the natural, here on the earth, we know that God loves us. But do you know somebody who cleaves to you in love? Demonstrates it, is not ashamed to demonstrate it? Is totally uninhibited in their display of their love for you? May the Lord soften all of our hearts to make us more like that, to our wives, to our kids, to our family. Because you don't want to wait you want to say it now. Say it now while you got breath. Say it now while you've got time. Say it now while your health is with you. Tell the people that are close to you that you love them. Serve them. Bless them. Be persistent in it. Be diligent. Be purposeful in it. Otherwise, the routine of life will just take over, and you'll find that you're just one of those hamsters on the treadmill, and you're just kind of like going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to bed, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to bed. Do you ever feel like you're in a rat's race? The routine is overtaking you, life is overtaking you, and you find your life is just kind of blasé. Break out of it. Be purposeful in the things that you say and the things that you do. And he says to her, verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I I will do for you all that you request. So here she is at his feet. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. They know because they've seen her conduct. And I love in, in 1 Samuel because it says, The Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And certainly Boaz was looking at Ruth, and I'm sure she's a very attractive woman, but he was looking at her heart, and he saw something about her that was just like, wow, she is beautiful, but she's beautiful inside too. And his heart was completely smitten. I love that. That's so awesome. They were a great match. Now, now it is true that I am a close relative, he says. and In other words, I'm a close gal. That's really what the word means. However, there is another gal relative closer than I. Stay this night and in the morning it shall be that if I will perform, uh, that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. And so she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. And then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now, this is kind of an unfortunate translation here. I think the NIV is better here, and I think you'll agree with me when I read it to you. Because when I read that, I'm like, it sounds like he's talking to another person. Uh, But in the NIV, it's got it right when it says this. Let me read that verse to you, verse 14 in the NIV. It says, so she lay at his feet until morning, 
but got up before anyone could recognize, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. It makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? He didn't want anybody to know that she was there. He wasn't trying to necessarily hide anything evil. It was just better for her that there would be um, no gossip. But gossip never happens in the church, does it? I think it's just a rumor that gossip starts. I don't think it really ever happens in churches. You know, rumors and tales and stuff like that. It never happens, does it? Does it? (laughs) It's what I heard. Yes, thanks, God. And also he said, notice, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley. We're talking about like 40 or 50 pounds, maybe 60 pounds. Laid it on her and she went into the city. And um, when he came to her, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. So Boaz has got to go to this next of kin, this next kinsman redeemer, because he's really number two guy in line. Does that make sense? He's number two. He's got to go to the number one guy and say, hey, do you want to redeem her land, Naomi's land? And he's going to throw on, you can, I love the, the, the way that this plays out, and you're going, to, you're going to love this, but I don't want to spoil it. So we're just going to hold it right there. So let's go into chapter uh, four here. So Boaz went up to the gate. That's where they did all the business. If you've uh, been to Israel or go to Israel, you'll see some of these gates. Uh, Abraham's gate up in the northern and in, in the town of Dan is still there to this day. You can actually visit it. They have to cover it because of the erosion, but it's there. We got pictures of it. That's, that's a gate where they actually went in and out of. He built that gate a long time ago, about 3,000 years ago at least, <laughs> and um, actually longer than that, probably 4,000. But um, so they sat in the gate, that's where they did business, and they, he sat down there, and behold, the close relative, this Gael, this kinsman redeemer, the nearer of kin than he was, and Boaz saw him, and he spoke to him, and he says, come aside, friend, sit down here, and so he came aside, and he sat down, and what we're going to see here is Boaz negotiating with this kinsman redeemer, this next of kin, this next eldest male relative of Elimelech, because remember, Naomi has sold her property because she's poor. She needed to sell the property when she came back from Moab into Bethlehem. She and Ruth needed money, so she sold the land that belonged to her husband, and so did Ruth, uh, uh, or, you know, because the land that belonged to Malon, her husband, who also died, they sold that land too. And so now, He's got to go to this nearest of kin and say, hey, do you want to redeem it? Because that was the, the way they did things back then. We don't have time to go there, but you can look at, um, look, just write in your notes, uh, Leviticus 17. I think it's verses 23 through 34. You can, you can read about the, how that um, redeeming the land and, and all of that and how that works. But let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 25. We're going to look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 25, we'll begin in verse 5, because now he's going to negotiate this this land and this woman who is a widow. And in Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in verse 5, 
the law says this. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies, and Malon and Chilion, they did dwell together, but unfortunately both of them died, and they have no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the idea was to perform the duty, it's called a Leverite marriage. And basically it's a duty where the brother who died childless, his other brother marries his widow and raises up seed in his name for her, on behalf of her. And so, and it shall be, verse 6, that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, that his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel. This will be the name of his name, the house of him who had his sandal removed. How do you like that? What a shameful title. Horrible. Oh, you're the man who had his sandal removed. Don't want to be around him, right? Now, th- that's what a Leverite marriage was. And the brothers would have probably done that, but both of them died. So now you can, you can almost see the chain of command going down. So the brothers can't do it because both of them are dead. It comes down to the next living oldest male, the, the kinsman redeemer. Look with me, go with me to Genesis chapter 38. This is a really interesting thing, and we'll see how this ties into the end of Ruth when we get there. But Genesis 38 is another time in history where Judah, the son of Jacob, did something very foolish. And I'm sure he would love to go back and redo this. But I see God's grace in it even still, in spite of his mistake, in spite of his sin, Genesis 38, it says, It came to pass at that time that Judah, and this is right after the brothers um, sold, Joseph, or sold um, Joseph into the hands of the Ishmaelites to take him to Egypt. It was right on the heels of that. It says, It came to pass at that time that Judah, his brother, departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. And, the, and Judah saw that there was a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and she, again, she's a Canaanite. Should he be marrying? Should Judah be marrying a woman who is a Canaanite? No, he shouldn't have. That was his first mistake. God didn't want the Israelites to mingle with the nations around them. He wanted them to stay separate together and to marry within the tribes and keep things separate. He has that right, doesn't he? And plus they had... Uh, because of their culture and the gods that they worship, God knew very well that all it would take is for a Hebrew boy to marry or to be with a girl whose family uh, worships idols. It wouldn't be long before he'd be worshiping the idol himself. So God says, be separate. And that's a good thing for us too. Be separate, says the Lord. Be ye separate. Separate from the world, separate from the things that are evil. But notice... Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her, and he went unto her. 
And um, so she conceived and bare a son, and he called his name Er. I would say he erred. <laughs> his name is E-R, Er. He erred, didn't he? He erred in this situation. She conceived and bore a son, called his name Er, and she conceived again and bore a son and called his name Onan. So these are twin brothers, probably. She conceived yet again and bore a son and called him his name Shelah, and he was at Chezib when she bore him. And then Judah took a wife for Er, his son, another arranged marriage, hallelujah, right? Uh, took a wife for Er's firstborn. Her name was Tamar, remember that. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. The Lord did. And Judah said to Onan, now here he is. He, he's supposed to go in and raise up seed to his brother now, his, his brother's wife, because he was killed. So Onan, the second eldest, he's supposed to go into his, his brother's wife and raise up seed for his brother. So Judah said to Onan, now go into your brother's wife, marry her, and raise up an heir to your brother. And again, this is that Leverite marriage. And this is what a kinsman redeemer, a Gael, he could function in this fashion, and we're going to see Boaz doing that very thing. He's functioning as a kinsman redeemer and, and taking that, that, that right or that um, provision for himself. But notice, but Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, and therefore he killed him also. The Lord did. So now you got two brothers that are dead. There's only one left, Shelah. He's the youngest. So now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, she also died. So now Judah's left alone. He's a, he's a widower. His wife died as well. And Judah was comforted and went up to his sheep shears at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adolamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. And so she took off her widow's garments. She covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and he was not given to her, or, um, and, and she was not given to him as a wife. Because Shelah was supposed to be the next in line, right, to take over that, that, uh, that rule of the, the Leverite marriage. But notice, Judah didn't give it, didn't give him to her. He was supposed to, but he didn't do it for whatever reason. We don't really know why. Dragging his feet. Meanwhile, her biological clock is ticking. She's looking at Shayla going, okay, when are you going to give him to me, Judah? When are you going to give him to me? Nothing happens. He's just out to lunch. He's clueless. And so, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, because she had her face covered. And then he turned to her by the way and said, Please let me come in to you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. And so she said, Will you give me a pledge till you send it? In, in other words, will you give me something as collateral so that I know you're going to tell the truth? And then he said, what pledge shall I give you? And she said, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. And so he gave them to her, went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went her way, laid aside her veil, put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adullamite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. 
So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, let her take them for let her take them for herself, lest we be ashamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. And it came to pass about three months later. Guess what? Baby bump. There's a baby bump in Tamar. About three months later, that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Wow, what a nice guy. And what a double condemnation for him, because number one, he should not have given, he should have given Tamar, his youngest son, Shelah, to fulfill the duty of the near kinsman, right? Since Er and Onan were dead. And number two, he was willing to follow the law and burn her as a harlot, but he went in unto her as a harlot. Takes two to tango, doesn't it? So here he is probably feeling pretty shameful, feeling like a hypocrite, and rightfully so. So when she was brought out, she sent her father-in-law, sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Can you imagine his face just falling down to the ground? Because now he realizes his error. You know, he should have given Shelah to her, but he didn't. And then he goes in unto her, thinking she's a harlot because he can't see her face. She ends up pregnant. She's got a staff, his cord, a signet ring. Film at 11. <laughs> right? So Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to, she to Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again, which means he never was with her physically. Now it came to pass at the time of giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand, saying, This one came out first. And then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, How did you break through? This breach be upon you. And therefore his name was called Perez, which is literally, it means breach. And then afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. And I bring that up. Remember Tamar, Zerah, and Perez, because their names are going to come back at the end here. It's interesting also that Tamar is one of the other five women mentioned. Uh, uh, actually, we'll go there right now in Matthew chapter 1. You might just want to write this down in your margin. You can look at it later. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, it's, it gives a genealogy. And five women are listed in this genealogy, including Mary herself. And the others are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. These women, Tamar was the one who, was, um, who beguiled her, her father-in-law, Judah, played, acted like a harlot, even though she really wasn't a harlot. And then we have Rahab, who we know who Rahab is from Joshua. She was the harlot in Jericho who got saved. And guess who marries her? A man by the name of Solomon. And Solomon and Rahab marry, and they have a child, and his name is Boaz. See how that works? See how wonderful God's grace is? 
You know, if I was Almighty God, I would say, if I'm going to have a lineage, I'm going to make sure that everybody's squeaky clean, that everybody's resume looks really good. I'm going to make sure that nobody looks cross-eyed. I'm going to make sure there's perfect people. Aren't you glad that God doesn't use perfect people? Because there'd be nobody to use. He doesn't use any one of us because we have it all together. It's all by his grace. It always has been, and guess what? It always will be. But notice what he uses. Abraham, this is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, or verse 1. It says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judah and his brothers. Notice, Judah begat Perez and Zerah by Tamar, his daughter-in-law. And Perez begat Hezron. Hezron begat Ram. Ram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nashon. Nashon begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz by who? Rahab. Boaz begat Obed by Ruth. Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah, who we know as Bathsheba. Does this sound like a squeaky clean sort of lineage? It's really not. And I'm glad for that. Because God can take, he came in human form to take our place. He could fully identify. He was without sin, but yet he came into a world of sin. And he came and he put to death the enmity that you and I deserve, God's wrath. We deserve that. He took that away by his death on the cross. And he took ten men of the elders of the city now. So he goes into the city. He gets ten men. And he gets this kinsman. So they sit down. Verse 3, Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to her brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying... Now notice the, the cunning way in which Boaz does this. He's not trying to be deceitful, but he's not giving the full story right up front. And I think he's probably waiting to the end before he brings up Rahab. Or not Rahab, but um, Ruth, the Moabitess. Because initially the guy's like, oh, I'll redeem it, I'll redeem it. And then he finds out a little more information. I can't redeem it. We'll see why. I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, in other words, if you will operate as the Gael, the kinsman redeemer, then do it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And I can just hear Boaz going, no, don't redeem it. Can I give you 50 bucks if you relent? What do you need? You want that field over there? I'll give it to you. Why do you want this land so much? Why do you want this land? But it doesn't. So so then Boaz said, on the day you buy, and notice he ups the ante. Now the truth comes out. Oh, this is so great. I love that. I love this interchange. Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess. I'm a good Jewish boy. I can't be hanging out with Moabitish women. It'll ruin my posterity. It'll ruin my inheritance, my own inheritance. I don't want anything to do with Moab. Oh, but if you, do, if you buy this land, you've got to buy Ruth's land, which belongs to Malon, her, first, you know, her, her oldest son, who's now dead. You've got to buy that back, and guess what? You've got to take Ruth to be your wife. And I'm so glad that Ruth wasn't there, because had Ruth been by his side, he'd be like, I'll take it. But she wasn't. 
Apparently, at the death of Elimelech, the property had passed to Malon, his oldest, who was Ruth's husband. And she also would be included in the redemption responsibility. And so verse 6, at the close, uh, uh, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself. <laughs> he was all for it at first, but then I got to take care of her. I got to be, I got to raise up a child for her. And I also got to buy her, her land from her husband. Mm. Can't redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And I bet, you know, Boaz is leaping for joy. Now, this was the custom in former times, verse 7, in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. And again, you can read Leviticus chapter 25, verses 23 through 34. That'll give you more info on that. You can read that. But notice in verse 7, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal, gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. And therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And so he took off his sandal, and I imagine and this is the quickest time that Boaz took off his sandals. It's probably lightning fast. He probably pulled that thing off so quick, the, the, the Adidas symbol wore, came right off the, the sandal. And Boaz said to the elders, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead, through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make, and notice their prophecy, I love this, their prayer. The Lord make the woman who is coming to you, coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel, and may you prosper in Ephrathah, that is in Bethlehem, and be famous in Bethlehem. Well, I think history has proven that these two young people, actually Boaz was older and she was younger, they're both pretty famous because we're reading about them right now. How many people are in the Bible comparatively to the world population going back to the beginning? <laughs> Small percentage here, and now they're here, infamy. Their life on display. And then they say, may your house be like the house of Perez. We just read that, didn't we, in Genesis 38. The product of Judah and his daughter-in-law. Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. And little did they know at this time. See, history, we can look back on it now and see. But at that time, they had no idea that through this line, that, that through this, even Judah's mistake, and even through this thing with Ruth and Boaz, they had no idea what was coming. So you and I have the benefit of history. They were just normal people living their lives. They had no idea in just a few generations that David, the King David, the, Israel's first king, first real good king anyway, was going to be born. And through David, the prophecy of the Messiah coming through the line of Judah. Hmm. And Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, isn't he? He had the ability to buy us back when we were sold under sin, when our lives were a complete wreck, when nobody wanted anything to do with us, when we were bankrupt. He redeemed us. He bought us back from the enemy that we deserve to go to hell, and yet Jesus Christ paid the price for our sin, brought us into his family, and now we are his forevermore. We are children of God. Are you excited about that? I am so glad to be a child of God. 
I hope you are too. I hope it just gives you a spring in your step tomorrow morning when you wake up because it is the best thing going. To know that God loves you, to know that he has paid your, the, the price for any sin that you will commit, not only just the past stuff, but the stuff you did today and the stuff you're going to do three weeks from now that he already knows because he's all-knowing. And does he love you today even though he knows you're going to blow it a week from now? He knows what you're going to say tomorrow that's not going to be so nice. And does he still love you today? Is he going to take back the salvation that he freely, that he with a great cost paid for? Is he going to take it back just because you messed up? No, he's not going to take it back. When God does something, it's permanent. When he does something, he knows the end from the beginning. He says, I'm going to place my spirit in you. You're a child of God. You're not going to be perfect yet, but you're going to make some mistakes along the way, but you're going to learn from them, and you're going to grow in your faith. What a joy it is. Be joyful. Even in your, when you mess up, confess it and be done with it and walk away from it, and God will justify you by his son's blood. He will justify you just as if you never did it. That's how powerful the blood of Christ is. If you're hanging on to your sin and and beating yourself up because of the same thing you've been messing up in, let me tell you, you're missing out on something because when he paid the price, it was done. He said it is finished. It is finished. Is it or not? Do you still have to atone for your own sin? Do you have to feel like you've got to do something to make yourself feel better? Maybe a couple of days of you know, whacking yourself over the head with a baseball bat? Is that going to somehow make you feel better? People do it all the time. They afflict themselves. Oh, I'm so miserable. I've done the same thing again and I can't help myself. I'm just going to go get a bottle of beer. And they do all kinds of strange They get in their pity party. And God's saying, I'll see you when you're done. When you're done crying on the pillow and feeling sorry for yourself, I'll see you because I love you. We have to confess. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. Oh, I'd say he's going to be famous. Obed was going to be a famous man, but more importantly, who was going to come through a couple generations? David, and then ultimately Jesus Christ. Oh my, what a blessed woman she was. Can you imagine? She was living in Moab, even before Malon and Chilion and Elimelech and Naomi came down from Bethlehem. They came down to Edom, or down to Moab. Here's this young woman living in idolatry. Probably her family was worshiping Chemosh. Had really no hope for anything. And God says, you know what? I'm going to choose that one because I see something in her. There's a heart in that woman. All I got to do is fan it a little bit, and she's going to be one of mine. And guess what? You know, nobody's going to like this. It's going to create, it's going to make the legalistic person really mad at me. It's not going to be politically correct even, but I'm going to bring the Messiah through you, Ruth. I'm going to bring King David through you. You are going to be instrumental in this whole plan of redemption. And that isn't this what this is all about, is a plan of redemption in her own life. And little did she know that God had a bigger plan of redemption unfolding, and she was a part of it. How glorious is that? Isn't that wonderful? I can't see it. I can't see ahead of me, but God sees. Take comfort in that. Take great comfort. 
And, he may, and, and may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, verse 15, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom, and she became nurse to him. And also the neighbors, the, the, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, this is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. How glorious. And I love the fact that this little book is in right where, it, right where it is in the scripture because next week we're going to be getting into the book of Samuel. We're going to see the beginnings of the monarchy and Samuel and, and, and the, some have called him the last judge of Israel. And then we'll see Saul and then finally the career of David. And I'm really looking forward to those, those books. That's really where the wonderful history of Israel is. It says, now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram. Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz. And we know from Matthew chapter 1 that it was through Rahab that Salmon, Salmon and Rahab got married. They had a son. And that was Boaz. And Boaz begat Obed. Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse had seven sons. David was the youngest. And they had two daughters as well. Abigail and Zeruiah. You ever heard the word Zeruiah? And so this genealogy, it verifies David's as well as Jesus' right to the throne and it was fulfilling a prophecy that Jacob gave a long time ago as he was dying on his deathbed in Genesis 49. What did it say as he was blessing Judah? As he was blessing Judah along with his other 11 brothers, when he came to Judah, he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. A scepter is something only that a king has. And certainly he was saying that it was going to be the, through the line of Judah that the kings were going to come through, Not, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Who's Shiloh? That's Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Love that. So Naomi, when she left Israel, when she left Bethlehem, she went into Moab. She was bitter. But now she comes back to Bethlehem. Now she's blessed. Naomi left Bethlehem in the beginning. She left empty. Now she comes back and she's full. And a Gentile bride is redeemed. Does this sound familiar? We are that Gentile bride. The church, made up of Jew and Gentile, we have been purchased. We are the Gentile bride that has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? You know, just to see how it all unfolds. And what a wonderful plan of redemption. What a wonderful story. It's not really a story. I hate that word when it comes to the Bible, but it really happened. It really happened. So be encouraged, folks. God is still redeeming. He redeemed you, and he wants to reach your family. He wants to reach your friends. He wants to reach all those close to you. Will you be that person who will be that conduit 
I wonder what the person who led Billy Graham to the Lord, he probably didn't think about that he was going to be witnessing to a man who was going to be one of the greatest evangelists in all of history. How do you know that the next person you minister to, what role they may have in the kingdom of God? I am sure that when the Orlando Roman, when he witnessed to me in his Cadillac (laughs) back in 1994, he led me to the Lord, and I am sure at that time, neither he nor I knew that I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Had I known, I probably would have run the opposite direction because I wasn't ready for it. But when God's ready, he does things. He does beautiful things. And so he's unfolding that plan of redemption. Be a part of that plan of redemption. Share the love of God. Don't get tired of it. Ask the Lord to revive you. Do you need reviving? I need reviving. I need to be stirred up again. Will you allow yourself to be shaken up a little bit? Say, Lord, whatever it is, it's got my eyes focused on anything else. Lord, reveal it to me. Help me to shake it off. It's very easy where we sit now as Christians, knowing that we're redeemed, knowing that our ticket has been paid in full. It's easy for us now to just sit back and know that it's going to be fine for us. But it's not fine for many people. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I pray that the love of God would so grip us that we would love him and have that love burn so brightly in our hearts that, like Paul would say, I'm constrained to share the gospel. It's something I've got to do. I've got to to tell people. Will you be that person? Tomorrow when you go into work, will you be that person? Be a light where you're at. Little things. We don't have to do great big things. Just start with little things. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the book of Ruth. And we thank you for the, the challenges that are in it, Father. So many wonderful themes. So many things in it, God, that have really challenged us. And we're thankful, Lord, that you would use uh, uh, an insignificant person like Ruth, a Moabite, a widow woman, a poor widow woman from Moab. Lord, you would use her so powerfully because you saw her heart, God. You see each of our hearts tonight. You know what we're made of. You know what we can do. You know what we can't do. And, Lord, we know that you want to do a great work in through each of us, Lord. None of us in this room are here by chance. None of us are here and have nothing to offer. Lord, you have deposited your spirit within us, and we have great potential, great potential, right here in this room to change the world just just with us. Lord, help us. We love you, and we praise you, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.